Hebrews 12.1 says we are surrounded by witnesses and that we should cast off sin and obstacles that keep us from God. We are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is Cross Training. Building your faith to not only carry the cross of Christ, but to get up when you fall and run toward the finish line. Faith-filled business leaders and individuals share their testimony to inspire your journey. Now here's your host for Cross Training, David Anderson. Well, hello. Welcome back to another edition into our third season of Catholic on Catholic Community Radio. It's Cross Training, hosted by me, David Anderson. Today we have a very special guest in the studio at Loyola uh, in beautiful uptown New Orleans and these great studios here. Coming on Catholic Radio this morning, we have Father Mark Thibodeau. He's my priest. He's the pastor of Holy Name and just a remarkable individual that I think everyone will enjoy getting to know. He hails from the Acadiana Parishes, uh, Church Point, I believe. And uh, I remember once, I, maybe it was a homily or just in conversation, speaking to one of the groups, he told us a story about how he was in school uh, at Church Point thinking about becoming a priest and um, was not as familiar with the Jesuits, was introduced to them and never looked back. And if you don't mind, um, before we get into that side of it, what was leading you into a path of even contemplating what was your childhood like in Church Point? Were you out in the swamps every day looking for dinner, uh, or was it a regular lifestyle? Right. Well, first thing, good morning. Good morning to David, and good morning to uh, all of uh, the listeners out there. So it's wonderful. I feel very privileged to to be a guest on your show. So thank you for inviting me. Uh, and yes, I'm, I'm the pastor at Holy Name of Jesus Church here in Uptown New Orleans, which uh, is separate from but sits on the campus of Loyola University, right across the street from Audubon Park. And David, you know what a beautiful area that is, and it's a wonderful place to go to church. Our church is over, a, the building itself is over 100 years old. It's a gorgeous, beautiful church. So we want to invite everybody to to come over to Holy Name of Jesus if you ever uh, are uh, wanting uh, looking for a church in uptown. Uh, so let's see. Yeah, I love your question, David, about uh, what is it that began my idea about priesthood. The truth is, uh, I this is a very traditional old old school story because I really grew up in a kind of an old school Catholic. Um, environment. I grew up in a town, the town of Church Point, 5,000 people, uh, right in the heart of uh, Acadiana, which is uh, French Canadian, with Cajun, of course. And so I grew up, there was, I don't know, probably 90%, maybe 95, maybe 96% of the, of the town was Catholic. So everything, my whole universe was Catholic. My entire universe was Catholic. Did they speak the French Cajun language around oh, town? Oh, very much so. Very much so. So we had, I had relatives who didn't speak English. They only spoke French, and I had neighbors and so forth. So, the gener- the not so much my parents' generation, but my grandparents' generation, many of them did not speak English, and there were uh, frequently masses in French, even uh, because to to minister to them. We, uh, traditionally, that area would get missionaries from French Canada to come uh, to to Acadiana in Louisiana to minister to the people because they spoke French, uh, and a lot of the older people did not. Unfortunately, that French Cajun language is kind of dying, but it was uh, it was very much alive when I was when I was a little kid. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up so much infused with Catholicism when I was a kid. We, we, 
everything we did, our social life, mm-hmm. and so not just our religious life, but our social life, what we did for fun, you know, the, the biggest uh, week of the whole year for us was the, uh, the, the parish bazaar, the parish uh, festival. That was for, not just for little kids, but for adults too. It was like the social event of the year. It's like Mardi Gras for New Orleans, you know. But it all took place in the Catholic, at the Catholic Church on the Catholic ground. So, and everybody was Catholic. Everybody I knew was Catholic. And uh, I spent so much of my time as an altar boy uh, at funerals and at weddings and at benedictions and so forth and even when I wasn't an altar boy like one of my jobs as a little kid was to inventory the the cemetery so as a kid I was literally walking through our old cemetery that was over 100 years old and and recording names and such because we didn't have a good database for for the seminary uh, excuse me for the cemetery rather <laughs> and uh so so yeah everything i was just infused with catholicism and that that kind of i have a better understanding of how you run your parish now uh-huh because you really do create a sense of community uh that people's lives are starting really to be infused by the parish uh much more so than uh, I see other parishes. It really must come from that. Uh, absolutely. You Friday night, uh, movie, movie nights, night, yes. Uh, Friday morning men's groups, Friday first Friday breakfasts, adult dinners. Uh, That's there's exactly a lot of right. activity. That's exactly right. Yeah, we have first Friday breakfast where the whole parish is yeah. invited for breakfast early in the morning, and then we have movie night. And yes, absolutely. I th- I think a Catholic parish is at its best when it provides not just a place to go and 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 attend mass, which probably is the most important thing that a parish does, but but also just that this is your community. This is where you go on a Friday night. This is where you want to go on a Friday night. This is where you want to eat breakfast with your friends and, and meet new friends. So, yeah, very much so. It's very much a, a taste of, of what, what I grew up with. Uh, and so the idea of becoming a priest was not at all a foreign idea. I, I don't know if I could come up with a time in my life when I wasn't thinking of the priesthood. I, I just grew up with the idea that that was a very viable option. Uh, and I think, what, two or three of my, my childhood friends were all, we were all heading to the priesthood. And and at least uh, at least two of them are still priests today. Uh, my oldest friend, since I was five years old, the two of us wanted to be priests. Uh, since we were little tiny kids, and he's a priest today. I, I I went and preached at his Jubilee Mass a couple of years ago, and we went to the Holy Land together. He and I. Oh my. And so, it yeah. So we we just grew up. We grew up with that whole notion about uh, yeah, a priesthood was just a just a, a very very very. Uh, doable uh, option for us in terms of growing up that way. So, so yeah, and, oh, well, here's another thing I want to say. Uh, I had I was an altar server, and I served all the time, constantly, and I loved my priests in my parish. And every single one of them, uh, they were just really good for me. Were they archdiocesan? Yes, all of them were, were diocesans. Uh, I wouldn't say archdiocese because right, right. we were di- the yeah. diocese of Lafayette, but uh, yes, they were uh, diocesan priests, and every single one of them were diocesan priests. I never had a religious priest at all. Uh, by religious, I mean belonged to a religious order, and uh, yeah. So I wanted to be a diocesan priest, and I can't even tell you if someone were to ask me when did that notion begin. I literally can't tell you because I, I, I almost woke up or came to birthed with that idea in my head. Uh, so I grew up with the idea of becoming a priest. Uh, and so it wasn't until my senior year that the idea of becoming a Jesuit uh, came up. Uh, so 
And the way that happened is, uh, and again, my friend, his name is Mitchell, uh, we grew up with this idea and supporting each other in this idea about becoming a priest. By the time we got to our senior year, we were both applying for the diocesan priesthood. We were both interviewing with various uh, people in the admissions committee of the diocese and writing our our sort of resume, if you will, to enter into the seminary to become uh, seminarians for the Diocese of Lafayette. Both of us were, like I would say, halfway through the process. And I went to a Church Point High School, which is a public high school, but it's such a tiny high school, such a tiny town that everybody was Catholic, or most people, the vast majority were Catholic. The principal of this public high school was a Catholic deacon, and so there was just Catholicism infused even in the public high school. And one day, uh, in I, I remember it well, it was second period of, of the, the school day, and we were in a class called Civics and Free Enterprise, my friend Mitchell and I. And uh, Mitchell says to me at one point, and you're going to have to hold that thought for one second. Okay. You'll hear the rest of that story right after this uh, introduction that we have to make, that this is uh, Catholic Community Radio, that you're enjoying the pleasure of. And today we have Father Mark Thibodeau telling us about how he was becoming a Jesuit. And this is David Anderson, host of Cross Training. Uh, with Albert uh, DuPont Jr. at the switches and Jeff Blackwell making us all sound at least tolerable for a little while. <laughs> uh, so there we are. You're in high school. Right. Your... So I'm in the uh, in a, uh, the civics and free enterprise class in the second period of this public high school. And Mitchell, who, who with me is applying for the seminary, Mitchell says, you know, Miss Ross, who was our history teacher the year before, Miss Ross said the other day that you should be a Jesuit. And it was just a totally spontaneous statement that he made. And and it was it was a one-off statement. He wasn't trying to make any kind of – he thought it was an amusing statement, and so did I. Now, to back up just for a moment, I – always wondered about these religious orders, and I hardly ever had met anyone from religious orders, but I was curious about them. And I remember talking to my priest, my pastor, while I was applying for the for the diocese. I, I said to him, I said, what if God wants me to be some religious order that I don't even know about? How on earth would God tell me that? I jokingly said, what if God wants me to be a Buddhist monk? How would how could he even tell me to become a Buddhist monk since I never met one? And uh, my priest said, well, look, you feel like the diocese is where God is moving you, right? And and I said, yes. He said, you're very happy in, in your relationship with the diocesan priests and, and so forth. I said, yes, very much. He said, well, that's how God tells you. He tells you by making you comfortable in the place, in the area that you're supposed to be called to. Now, if you feel like maybe you're called to something else, you tell God that he's going to need to, and this is his phrase, he's going to need to knock you off your horse on the way to Damascus. Now, that goes to a scripture passage, right? St. Paul, he was uh, condemning and uh, persecuting Christians as a Jewish rabbi. And on his way to Damascus, where he was going to persecute more Christians, Christ, the the risen Christ in heaven, so this is post-resurrection, knocked him off his horse on the way, literally knocked him off his horse on the way to Damascus, blinded him and made him see in a whole different way. And he he became a Christian and he became what we know as St. Paul now. So my... I, I didn't know that's where someone knocked off their high horse. Yes. Came from. I think so. I think so. I think that's where it comes from. And, and so my priest said, 
If you think maybe God is calling you to be in a religious order, then you tell God he's going to need to knock you off your horse on the way to Damascus if he wants you to do that, because otherwise you're going to become a seminarian. And that gave me peace because I really trusted this priest completely. Uh, and so I prayed. I prayed that prayer. And I said, God, I think you want me to be a diocesan priest. And so that's what I'm going to do. And if that's not what you want, you're going to have to stop me. You're going to have to knock me off my horse on the, on the way to Damascus. And I want you to. Otherwise, I'm going to go in this path. And after I prayed that prayer, I was at peace for the first time. I was not at peace before that. I, it just kept bothering me. So that all that happened before Mitchell says to me on this random morning, he says, Mark, Miss Ross said that you should be a Jesuit. Isn't that funny? And I said, yeah, that is funny. And we both sort of laughed about it. He and I were both kind of book book bookish kind of people so we we read a lot and we knew who saint ignatius was but i don't know if either of us had ever met a jesuit uh, talked very much with the you jesuit. had to be close I we were think. only 11 miles from yeah. the jesuit uh center uh 11 miles away but uh I, I remember we took a field trip as altar boys to the jesuit centers as a little altar boy but that's about it i, I don't think i'd been to Grand Coteau besides that. When he said that, uh, I I laughed about it, and we just had a nice little moment of laughter. But it resonated. But something happened. Something happened. There was some weird, wild shift inside of me. Uh, And I tell people, I, I think I would say it was the most supernatural moment of my life that there's nothing I can't point to another moment that had such a such a incredible shift internally externally nothing it was just a regular day no one noticed anything but inside of me something happened in the minutes that followed us chuckling about it because That's what we I thought was it was ask. just how a, long was it so within minutes within minutes within minutes for sometime you know, like the second half of that class, that was second period. Uh, then the bell rings. It's third period. Uh, I'm supposed to go to the library for English class. And you remember, David, that back in those days, to write a term paper, you had to do all of these index cards. Remember that yes, we, yes, and, yes, and there's yes. no computers or anything. We had to write index cards. So, so here I am writing these index cards full of notes for my term paper, and I'm with my other best friend, whose name is Tiffany, um, uh, my wonderful friend Tiffany, and I'm writing these cards to write some essay. I have no idea what, what, what paper I was writing at the moment, and I was just struck with this overwhelming desire to be a Jesuit. Now, here's what's funny about that. I knew almost nothing about the Jesuits. I, I, I don't think I could name a Jesuit, a, a living Jesuit. I knew practically nothing about what they did. I knew there were Jesuits 11 miles from me in Grand Coteau because my parents had gone to retreat there, but I knew almost nothing, almost zero about the Jesuits. But somehow I wanted badly to be a Jesuit. And I looked up, and and I looked up at Tiffany, who was also writing her cards, and I said, Tiffany, what the heck am I going to do with my life? I said something weird like that. And she laughed, and she took one of the index cards, and she wrote on it, Mark E. Thibodeau, January 29th, 1988, diagnosis senioritis. And then she wrote by Dr. Tiffany Hidalgo. And it was just a big laugh. And she handed me the card. Well, you know, David, I took that card, I folded it up, and I put it in my wallet. And I kept it in my wallet for 25 years or so because I wanted a memento of that moment, of that exact moment, because I knew something supernatural was happening at that moment. Uh, I'm in the library, right? 
it, there's no computers, not a single computer. It's a public school library in a tiny town in southwest Louisiana. I go to the encyclopedia and I look up Jesuits in the encyclopedia. And there's something like, I don't know, 500 words about the Jesuits. I think I could look up maybe Ignatius Loyola, maybe another 300 words in the encyclopedia. Those were my first introductions to the Jesuits. A few days later, I went back to that priest and I said, I think I got knocked off my horse. And the priest said, what are you talking about? And I said, and I told the story, I told the whole story. And he said, well, let's see what happens. He says, you're 18 years old. The Jesuits don't take 18 year olds. So, so the odds are very strongly against this working. So why don't you try it? Cause you got nothing to lose and, and chances are it won't work anyway. So you got, you got nothing to lose. Just take a shot at it. I called Grand Coteau, 11 miles away. And I said, let me speak to a Jesuit. And uh, the Jesuit who answered the phone, he said, well, which one do you want? I said, anyone will do. And he said, well, you can talk to me. So I made an appointment with him. A few days later, I was driving my little Ford Pinto, uh, the 11 miles from Church Point to Grand Coteau. And here's the funny thing. On my drive from Church Point to Grand Coteau in southwest Louisiana, it started snowing. And it never snows. Oh, uh, it my probably, goodness. It probably snowed two or three times in my entire life in Grand Coteau. And it was just this beautiful, gentle little snowstorm on my way Did from, you process that as a moment? Absolutely. Wow. I, I was driving and I said, this is all, it was like something was happening to the universe here. That was on my way to Grand Coteau. I get to Grand Coteau. I meet with this priest who was kind of an older, stodgy guy. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't incredibly, uh, for a teenager, in the mind of a teenager, not a very inspiring, uplifting guy. He was kind of older and, and low-key. And we sat and stared at each other awkwardly for a moment. And he said, why are you here? And I, and I said, well, tell me what's a Jesuit. And he gave me like a 15-minute description. And then we stared at each other awkwardly again for a minute. And he said, so what do you want? And I said, I think I'm going to do it. And he said, do what? I said, I think I'll be a Jesuit. And, of course, I'm an 18-year-old kid that he's never met before. And he knows I've never met the Jesuits before. So I think, I imagine, he probably thought this was just some silly little kid. But we started a conversation, and that was in February. Eventually, he connects me with the vocation director in March. March through May, I applied. In August, I entered the Society of Jesus at the age of 18, which is sort of unheard of these days. And I never looked back. And that was uh, 30 38 years ago, something like that. So, what a beautiful story. Isn't it amazing? It's a, it's a really incredible story. And it's, it's, I later became a novice director. So I, I've heard a thousand vocation stories, right? Just one after another. It is an incredibly unique story. That's not how most wow. people enter uh, the priesthood. And again, this is David Anderson, host of Cross Training here on Catholic Community Radio. We have Jeff Blackwell making us all sound good as the audio engineer and producer, and Mr. Albert DuPont Jr. at The Switches, and we are broadcasting from the beautiful Loyola Studios, Mike Early Studios, and we have Father Mark Thibodeau sharing just one of the most beautiful stories I think we've ever shared on on this program. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, if you don't mind, could you go into more than the uh, 300 words uh, that you found in the encyclopedia for uh, being Jesuits and, in particular, uh, Ignatius? Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm happy to do that. So there are a lot of uh, Catholics don't really understand the basics of it. So just to say, there are two kinds of priests in the Catholic Church, and they have funny names, uh, weird uh, category names. 
we call them uh, secular and religious priests. Now, of course, the secular priests are religious in the traditional sense. All priests are religious, you know. Uh, so, but what we mean by that is the religious priests belong to a religious order, and the secular priests belong to the diocesan order. The other thing we might call them is diocesan priest versus uh, religious order priest. So those are the two major categories. Every priest in the whole world is either uh, a religious order priest or a diocesan priest. If you are a diocesan priest, it, it means you belong to a geographic area called a diocese. So here we're in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. I grew up in the Diocese of Lafayette. These are our, our regional uh, geographic areas. The whole world is divided up into dioceses, and each diocese has a bishop. And so if you're a diocesan priest, you belong to that geographic area, and you you belong, if you will, to the bishop, and the bishop is the one who, who you're obedient to and, and who missions you here and there. And so for the diocesans, it's God, of course, at the top, and then God, and then the pope, and then then the bishop, and then you. So that's all the diocesan route. The religious route is a, a bit different. The religious route is a religious order, and so you do not belong to a geographic area. You will, if you will, you you belong to the world, uh, and there's no geographic lines, and you belong to the 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 uh, the provincial who is the regional leader of the religious order. So I would that be for the Dominicans as well. I think it's true for all religious orders. Yeah, they may not all use that word provincial. They may have a different word, but it's true for all religious orders. Uh, and so, uh, so I I'm in the Jesuits, and so for me, it's it's God, and then the Pope. And then the leader of the Jesuits, who's called the Father General in Rome, he lives literally across the street from the Vatican. Uh, and then under the general is the provincial, and then me. And so the provincial, rather than the bishop, the provincial is the one whom I am obedient to and who missions me everywhere. And Pope Francis is a Jesuit. Pope Francis is a Jesuit. He's the first Jesuit pope we have. We had other religious uh, uh, popes before. We've had Benedictines and Franciscans, and I'm sure we've had Dominicans, although I can't think of any right now. But So we've had other religious orders have popes, but, but we've never had one before. And each religious order has a different, if you will, a different style. Uh, this might surprise you, but uh, fraternities in universities actually sprung forth from the idea of religious orders. Because they, universities were run by things like the Jesuits and the Dominicans, uh, and and the fraternities were these groups of college kids who were sort of imitating, if you will, the uh, the religious order who was running the school. So they've changed. They've changed a little bit, but but if you think about a fraternity, the different fraternities they have different personalities, yeah, sure. don't sure. they? Yes. Uh, this fraternity, the I don't I don't know that my fraternity. So let's say the Delta Delta Delta, they would have this style, and this fraternity is known mm -hmm. for that. Certainly, uh, and so it's the same way in a way, if you will, the religious orders. Each of them have their own sort of style, their own way of being, and their own flavor, their own flavor, I would say. And uh, and so how does that? play out well it we might do different things so for example the jesuits our main works although we do a lot of other things too but our main works are the spiritual exercises which means retreat work the missionary uh mission of the of the church the catholic church the missionary uh, work and then and then education like loyola university where we're sitting right now so those are our three main thrusts. If you talk about, let's say, the Alexian brothers, that's a religious order, their main thrust is hospital work. And so they, they have hospitals and they, they do pastoral ministries in hospitals. Each order has its own um, primary works. Each order has its own founder. 
and our founder is St. Ignatius Loyola. And the order, those in the order, try to live their life like Saint, like the saint that, that founded them. So, so I try to live my life like St. Ignatius. So the way he saw God, the way he saw prayer, the way he saw humanity, the way he saw, let's say, sin and reconciliation, for example, you, you follow the vision of your leader. So I try to follow St. Ignatius in the way that I, I exercise my, my priesthood. So that's sort of how it all works. Uh, the, a Dominican would try to live his life like St. Dominic, a Franciscan like St. Francis, and so on. Now, Ignatius Loyola had such an impact. I mean, this school that we're sitting in is named after him. The colors of the school were his family colors. They're the wolves, which were in his family crest. Uh, That's exactly right. So the symbolism stays. Uh, absolutely. Not just in the message, but a really comprehensive, um, I guess, manifestation of who he was. That, that's precisely correct, yes. St. Ignatius Loyola uh, was born in the... Uh, 1400s, 1491, I think it is. So he lived in the 1500s. He was of low nobility in uh, in the Basque region of Spain. He was Basque himself. I say low nobility, so he belonged to the court. If you kind of think of Man of La Mancha, that's kind of the, the time period that he was in. He was uh, a sort of, let's say, he wasn't a knight uh, with a K, you know. He wasn't a knight, but he was kind of like an aspiring knight. He he would wore, wear suits of armor in the same way that you think of in, as a knight and did sword fights and and lived a courtly life. And, and, and uh, yeah, it's very much like these sort of romantic novels or movies that we see about about knights, uh, like the Knights of King Arthur. I didn't you know? know he was from the Basque region. Yes, he's very much Basque. Which are known to be uh, irascibly independent. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. He And he was that. He was Clearly, very strong to start his own order, like the diocese isn't giving me enough. I think it was in Paris uh, uh-huh. uh, where he was with his college mates. The University of Paris, that's exactly And, and he yeah. says, uh, yeah, the diocese is, is not enough. We need to start our own. Right. Uh, that's a lot. Yes. Saint, and it's St. Ignatius Day, sadly, the church, it wasn't the best moment for the Catholic Church. The church had kind of uh, gone a bit corrupt in many ways. The, the pope himself was not, uh, we had a string of popes that were not the healthiest Men, uh, so the temperament of the of the Catholic population was reaching and trying to get uh, more spirituality. Right, what they were finding exactly. Wow. Most priests, the average priest, probably ninety five percent of priests in those days, were uneducated, uh, and they did not, for example, they did not preach at any mass. So. 96% of the masses that a Catholic would go to in those days, they would receive no homily at all, zero. Uh, and part of that is because the priests themselves were so uneducated. And so Ignatius really saw, no, we need to educate ourselves. We need to become strong theologically, and we need to preach to the people. So that was a huge part of Ignatius's mission. Wow. As we get into Ignatius's mission, which and and his own personal history, which is pretty fascinating. Um, this is actually the moment of the show where we talk about food, and uh, we'll come right. We're going to go uh, just a brief thing about. I had a Bass cheesecake. Ah. The other day. Wow. And it was one of the most delicious things I've ever had in my life. Unlike uh, other cheesecakes, kind of cakey uh-huh. as opposed to yeah. softer. When you grew up down in in Acadiana, did your family cook the regular traditional Acadiana foods? Oh, yeah, very much so, yeah. my my, my ate crawfish a lot? We ate crawfish Chicken. a lot. Yep, uh, crawfish and... Uh, you know, gumbo, jambalaya, those things are, you know, just daily fare for us. That was very much the kind of things we ate all the time. 
uh, and, Do you and still I loved cook it. it? Oh yeah, I, I still I love cooking actually, and uh, and I cook all the time. Uh, well, I I cook in my off time, in my leisure time, and it's kind of actually relaxing for me. And my favorite things to cook actually are things that you wouldn't really find on a menu of a restaurant because there, there's some sort of what I call backwoods Cajun dishes. Like what? Well, like my favorite dish is, I mean, the backwoods name for it is backbone stew, uh, which is a- That's a, a backwoods name. Yeah, sure. back, or backbone fricassee sometimes it's called. And so it's pork, uh, pork backbone, and it's a very dark, uh, very dark brown, almost black stew, like very thick black stew. And it it's it may be my favorite dish ever in the world and it's my favorite thing to cook i love cooking this dish and you won't find it in any restaurant you won't even find it in restaurants where i'm from because where i'm from if you go to a restaurant you're trying to leave what you cook what you eat every day and this is such an everyday it's very much of a peasant food you know uh, i think ratatouille for example in france was the peasant food of the day it was what people ate every day and so you usually wouldn't get it in a restaurant back in the day. So the backbone stew, is it just a roux with some onions and garlic, and the backbone is giving you the marrow, right? Almost and the, the stock, right? It, it, and it's Vegetables, strange, like meat what, in it. Yes, it, you, uh, if you go to the grocery store, what most of the time you get for backbone stew is uh, it's named country style ribs mm-hmm. in the grocery store. Mm. Well, most of the time, people don't know this, but they call it ribs, but it's actually the backbone of the of the pig, uh, and they cut it, they cut the backbone in such a way that it looks, it's shaped like ribs. Really? Probably because most people- like almost short ribs, probably. Exactly. Most people probably are kind of turned off by the idea of backbone. Yeah, it sounds a good appetizing name. It doesn't sound like an appetizing, <laughs> which is funny because, like, why would you think a pig's ribs would be- more appetizing than the pig much backbone. Better, much better, much better. But psychologically, yes, it's a problem. So sure. they call it country style ribs. But actually, it's the most tender part of the of the meat of the of the pig because it's right next to the bone. So, so it's very tender meat. So yeah, you take those ribs and you make a, a roux, which is uh, flour and oil, and uh, you add uh, the Cajun vegetables, which is uh, onions. Celery, garlic, uh, uh, bell pepper, uh, green onions, uh, parsley. Those are the kind of the big uh, vegetables of, of all Cajun dishes. And you cook it really slowly in this in this uh, in this roux stew uh, and, until the meat gets really tender. Uh, of course, you you make it. I like to make it really spicy. Most of the time, Cajuns eat it very spicy with a lot of. Cajun spice. Uh, it's really extraordinary, extra, extraordinarily delicious. You it know? sounds delicious. It's wonderful. I, it's wonderful. I'm going to make that this week. I do most of the cooking with Union Law School. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to make that one. If people uh, if people uh, don't like spicy food, then they probably wouldn't like it. But if you like spicy food, I've never met a person who didn't like spicy food. Who said, "Oh, I don't like this." They, everybody really loves this dish. The other one is uh, chicken sauce piquant. Uh, that's a, a very favorite dish of mine to make. And again, it's something you just wouldn't really see very much. No, you never in see the restaurants, that even 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 in my my area, because again, it's a peasant food that you'd eat at home. So if you go to the restaurant, you want something fancier. So a chicken sauce piquant is kind of the same idea, but with chicken. Uh, but in this case, it's a tomato gravy. Right. You have roux, but you also have uh, tomato in there as well. So either, and you can use different things, but tomato, tomato sauce, it's tomato like paste, a peeled tomato in there too. Sure, absolutely, it's sliced up. Right, uh, and the chicken sauce piquant is phenomenal as well. It's a wonderful taste. Uh, My sister used to make that. Uh, dish it was always delicious yeah i have chicken in the refrigerator that i was gonna pane tonight uh. i think i'm still gonna do it because <laughs> i'm doing it with my red beans yeah uh, yeah but uh well getting back to ignatius loyola uh-huh 
tell us about you know how this fella from the Basque region came about to say I'm gonna start a new order and what do you think it was the most prolific piece because I'm sure there were probably a hundred other people doing the same thing elsewhere and their orders never gravitated came to be how what 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 made his message uh, his personality so cohesive to bring other people because it can't just be him writing yes it has to be a group of people many of which those original uh, organizers are saints today absolutely yeah yeah like the Jesuits often like to say that we were actually founded by three saints not one and it's Saint Ignatius Loyola Saint Francis Xavier and then a saint that nobody really knows is Saint Peter Faber these three. He's kind of like the Dudley DeBosia guy. I guess there's, a so. third, there's Dudley DeBosia, and then there's a third guy you see in the commercial. You're right. He must be that famous. Maybe so, or maybe Ringo Starr, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, so Peter Faber, Francis Xavier, and Ignatius Loyola were all college buddies. They were uh, Xavier and, and Ignatius were literally college roommates. They were, they were dorm roommates. And uh, Ignatius was not a great scholar. He really struggled with the academically, and Xavier would tutor him, and so they became close friends that way. Which is interesting because Jesuits are known to be scholars. Yes, exactly. Right. So because he must have known that deficit pushed him further uh, to create it. Yeah, perhaps so. The way it sort of came about was one of Ignatius's great insights in his prayer, one of the things that came to him in prayer very early on and that he's kind of famous for, is that he really felt strongly that this is, I'm going to use his exact words here, so this would be from the primary text. He would say, God labors through the elements to tell us of his love. God labors through the elements. By that he means that all of the world, all of creation, is infused with the presence of God. So God's, God's love and presence and communication, communication of love, all happens through the world uh, and, and through the, if you will, the secular world. So he believed that he, he used examples as uh, like cows, for example. He talked about God is infused in things like the field and the cows and the trees, that, that God is in everything. And so we need to, these were his words, find God in all things. And that's really how education came about because he wanted to find God in mathematics and find God in theater and find God in science. Uh, and, of course, all of this, it, through a 16th century, 17th century uh, mindset, sure. yeah. But uh, and again, this is if you're just joining us. This is David Anderson, host of Cross Training, brought to you uh, by Catholic Community Media, uh, an affiliate of EWTN. Uh, and this morning we have Father Mark Thibodeau, uh, my priest, who's also the. Uh, what are you? You're not. What is your title? As the Jesuit in charge uh, of the parish, the pastor. Pastor would be the title. Mm-hmm. I'm the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus. Well, I was struggling for uh, something easy there. It, I was thinking provincial or no, uh, no. It's yeah. the simplest word of all. I'm pastor. just the pastor. Yep. <laughs> and there's only one pastor in the community. Right. There's only one pastor of every parish. Mm-hmm. Every parish has one pastor, the one in charge. Secular would be CEO, right? <laughs> so the pastor, if you will, is the CEO of the of the all of the, the Jesuits that are at Loyola uh, teaching at Jesuit High School teaching. Do, are they all under you? No, because I'm not. I'm I'm in charge of the parishioners. Like you're one of my parishioners, so I'm uh, you're in my spiritual charge, if you will. But the Jesuits, the Jesuit community, has its own leader. And that's the rector 
R-E-C-T-O-R, the rector of the community. So he's in charge of the spiritual welfare of That's us. what I was looking for. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I'm not the rector of our community. We have a, Father Greg Waldrop is our rector. So he's in charge of the Jesuits here in the New Orleans region. As uh, at one time when I was uh, an affluent banker, I used to uh, – Father Mark Lewis, uh-huh. who I got to meet, who was, I guess, the rector – when the New Orleans community and the St. Louis community merged. He, he was the provincial. Oh, he was. So, okay. so, so it's me, uh, you could say me, and then the rector, our superior uh, of a local community, and then the provincial, and then the father general, and then the pope. So, uh, so yeah, Father Mark Lewis, when you knew him, was the provincial. He was in charge of the whole southeast region of the United States. Oh, wow. Yeah, and and then we merged with another province in in the lower Midwest of the United States, Missouri and and uh, Kansas and and so forth. So I I interviewed him mm-hmm. for the show, uh-huh. and we did it in his office in Rome. He's wow. now the head of the uh, provincial. No, what it the uh, he's the head of the of the. I think he's the head of the uh, the Jesu. Uh, the the Jesuit university that trains priests, both both Jesuits and others, uh, in Rome. Right. They have a wonderful name for it, and uh, but we interviewed in his office, mm. and the audio didn't come out. Oh, that's too bad. So I have yeah. to go back. Uh huh. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's you need a to. good reason uh, right. to go back. So as you were talking about Ignatius Loyola. Uh huh. What do you think, uh, what was it about him that drew the others into the fold? Right. I think he had a sort of a different vision that was somewhat radical in his day. One is this finding God in all things. That was one of the, one of the ideas. The other idea that he had, and I'm going to use his own words here, he had this idea that the creator desires to deal with directly with the creature. Those are his own words. The creator desires... So that was radical in that day. In that day, it was radical because, in fact, it was a very dangerous idea because in Ignatius' day, the Inquisition was alive and well, so there were a lot of um, sort of trials against uh, Catholics who uh, were under suspect for, for saying something heretical, and there were, in fact, groups uh, like the Quietist, for example. Uh, it was a group of, of Catholics who the church determined was not uh, – had left kind of uh, gone too far in, their, in their, their way of looking at things. The Quietists were one, of the, one example, actually, of how they felt like God was talking directly to them, and it got them in trouble. So for Ignatius to say this – was a very dangerous idea at the time. Now it's really interesting because he he also he be, so he believed that God speaks directly to the individual soul, which is a radical thought back in those days. He also believed strongly, very strongly, that God speaks through authority figures in the church, and so he's famous for saying which today would be controversial probably, but he's famous for saying that if you think. You're looking at something, you say it's white, and the Pope says it's black, it's black. And that's it. That, that's the end of it. So he had this, these sort of two sides of himself who believed very, very strongly that God speaks through, through ecclesial authority. And he also believed that, yes, God speaks through the individual soul as well. And if you doubt that, you should go to an adoration chapel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, is you're right. Validate right that statement. That's completely. exactly right. But but back in Ignatius' day, the vast majority of Catholics would not have believed that God wanted to speak to them personally. the The average Catholic believed very strongly, I would say, that the way that they would hear from God is they would talk to their priest, they would t- listen to their bishop, listen to the Pope. They didn't think that God had anything to say to them personally. And Ignatius said, no, actually, every single, every single soul walking on the, on the planet 
God is so in love with that he wants to have an intimate relationship with every soul on the planet. Were there any of the Inquisition, uh, almost like grand juries, I would think? Mm -hmm. Yes. They had to take his issue up. Oh, absolutely. Several times. Several times. Uh, There's a famous story of he went for supper uh, at the Dominican College, and during the supper, he was talking about ideas that were so radical in the day that by the end of the supper, they'd put him in the Dominican college, uh, Dominican prison, rather. <laughs> and he was a prisoner, to the, literally a prisoner, for like 30 days. And then he, he went to trial, and the the uh, whatever whatever the grand jury at the, of the day was uh, uh, declared him innocent, uh, and that that his teaching and his writing was was actually completely valid and orthodox. And this happened two or three times. And each time that it happened, there was some judge, uh, and I'm, I'm using our language because I don't know what their their terminology would be, but there was some judge who really believed in him who said, listen, I'll write this off. And he refused to let any judge write it off. He wanted to go, he insisted that there always be a trial. Uh, and we have records of all of this because the trials, there were records, uh, court records. So he always insisted that the full trial happened because he himself felt so strongly that he wanted to be a faithful Catholic and faithful to the hierarchy of the church that he wanted to know if there was any problem because he wanted to change his life or change his ideas. Or So he always refused to let the case be dismissed. He I always, bet his pals were saying, come on, Ignatius. Exactly. Let's just, you know. Everyone was like, come on, Ignatius. You, you, they, we have it out. We have it out. Yeah, they're writing this off. Let it go. They're, it's not. And even the judges were like, no, we know it's okay. We don't need to go through the process. He forced them to go through the whole process so that he can get this declaration saying, no, this is orthodox Catholic teaching. And it won every time, every single time. Well, Regrettably, our time is over. Okay, that's too bad. It is. uh, It is. You have been an amazing uh, guest. I'm sure the listeners really, really enjoyed every word you said and would have preferred me to keep my mouth shut more. Uh, But that's the way it goes. (laughs) Could you give us a blessing? I'd be delighted to give you a blessing. And then we'll end the show uh, if you'll go right into Hail Mary. And we hope. Everyone says it with us. Absolutely. So, why don't we? Uh, why, why don't we just get in a quiet moment for just a second, and so we can ex- acknowledge God's presence. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full, full of, of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed, blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Cross Training with David Anderson is a production of Catholic Community Media.